all. I was just thinking like, all right, I found someone I love, like, you know, I'm going to put everything on hold and just try to like rush into marriage and rush into having kids, which is so wrong. <laughs> now I'm older, I know that's so wrong. Don't rush into anything. Today's episode is truly unique. Kayla Fuller has had a double mastectomy, predetermined family history for breast cancer. She has elected to take a proactive approach to her health and a long-term game plan with preventing the possibility of getting breast cancer. We go deep into how that impacts her personal life, dating life, and professional life. And as an Enneagram 8, otherwise known as the challenger, just like me, uh, we spend some time talking about how we come across to others and how intense we can be, but also how that relates to our purpose and mission in life. Speaking of purpose and mission, if you're looking to unleash your true potential, join Thomas Suski and I for a one-of-a-kind event this coming Thursday evening at the WeWork on Platt, where we will teach you how to unleash your true potential. Click the show notes below. The link is in there to save your spot now. Again, that's this Thursday, February 27th, at 7 p.m. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Kayla Fuller. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. I'm your host, Dave Glazer, personal trainer and Enneagram fanatic in Denver, Colorado. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I realized I needed to take personal responsibility and truly dig deep into the repeated patterns to discover where I was going wrong in my dating life. Come with me on the path to authenticity, where each week I interview experts and real-life daters to uncover what it is that's holding us back in our most important relationships. Hey guys, welcome back to the Be Leave, Be Real, Be Bold podcast. I'm excited to have my guest, Kayla Fuller, in the house. Hello, everyone. <laughs> You're actually good friends with Jamie Palmucci, who was on our uh, episode a little while ago in November called Moving On. Yes. And that's how we got connected. Yes, indeed. She said, you absolutely have to talk to Kayla. Yes. Because <laughs> when I heard your story, then I understood why that was. Yeah. So first of all, uh, your age is important. How old yeah, are you? Yeah, I am 28 years old. You're 28. Mm -hmm. And give us a little background about like maybe how you and Jamie met or like yeah. what you what you felt when you listened to her episode, because that's how our conversation got started. Yeah, so Jamie and I met when I was 22, um, so six years ago. I was literally just fresh out of college, and um, I got hired at an advertising agency in Denver, and she had begged them not to hire someone just right out of college. She wanted somebody experienced for her team, and um, I feel like I personally came with some good internship experience, <laughs> um, which must have proved to be true because after a few weeks, she was like, okay, cool. She's great. She can stay. Um, and we actually became best friends. Um, we have been inseparable ever since. And uh, I consider Jamie almost like a sister to me. So mm -hmm. uh, listening to her podcast, it was just great hearing her have the chance to tell her story. Jamie is very effervescent and she's well-spoken and I think she's, um, has a way of putting things into words that um, helps people understand themselves and maybe situations a little bit better. Yeah, she's totally relatable. Yes. She's, uh, there's no filter there. No. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, she's great. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Uh-huh. And then as we were getting to, getting to know each other, mm -hmm. um, your, your unique position as 
at your age yes. and going through your life. Mm-hmm. Are you Denver native? I'm a Denver native, yes. Did mm-hmm. a brief stint in Washington, D.C. for work. Very brief. <laughs> Was not my place. <laughs> Loved the city. Uh, had a hard time making friends. <laughs> D.C. is rough. Yeah. We lived there in the late 80s, early yeah. 90s. So it's a different place then. The first day I was there, I was taking the train to my new apartment, and, um, like, I'm kind of just an awkward, as you can probably tell, um, but, like, friendly person, and I slipped, and my suitcase fell to the front of the train when it stopped, and it exploded everywhere, and I was, like, laughing, like, (laughs) picking up my stuff, like, oh, how embarrassing, and, like, everyone just, like, dead stared at me cold, like, nobody offered to help, and I was like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? (laughs) That, That East Coast life is a different place. Yeah. So, but yeah. So why I bring that up is like your family history is very important. Mm-hmm. Your age is very important because um, you have a predisposition for the breast cancer gene. Yeah. So I have um, what they have ter- deemed the breast cancer gene. Um, I have BRCA and also have MTA. So I actually have two different um, cancer genes. Um, so yeah. Um, I had a double mastectomy three years ago, so when I was 25, um, and I will likely have many more preventative surgeries and procedures in my life, so it's been definitely a journey through my mid to late 20s. (laughs) And I wanted to ask a little bit more about that, is like the difference between a proactive and a reactive approach to Mm -hmm. your family history, because there's uh, breast cancer in your family, Mm -hmm. and then you also, with the advancement of technology, got it an examination and a test done, Mm -hmm. which gave you more information on the gene being present. Definitely. So I grew up, like, from the time I was very young, knowing that I might have um, this gene that ran in my family. My grandma already knew she had it. Um, Every, almost, a lot of women on my dad's side of the family, I won't say every woman, but a lot of women on my dad's side of the family have had breast cancer. And also my great my great-grandfather died of breast cancer. So it was something that was kind of always in the back of my mind growing up. I know some of my friends from high school remember me kind of having this anxiety about it when I was growing up. And um, so I also have a third thing called, I had a third thing um, called fibrocystic breast disease, which caused benign tumors to grow in my breasts when I used to have them. Um, So it was kind of this like hugely anxiety driven thing in my life because uh, the first time I ever had a biopsy was when I was 18 and I was so young. The doctor like thought it was insane that we even wanted to do this, but I had just this strong family history and they knew that my grandma had BRCA. So they agreed to do it and luckily it was benign, but then they started monitoring it a lot more closely even at that point. So yeah. (laughs) That's a lot to bear at your age at 18 and even younger too. So Uh, Let me ask you about your family dynamic, because there's a lot of families that don't talk about things like that, and they just kind of sweep it under the rug and deal with it in a reactive way when it comes. Mm -hmm. Um, But your family took a very proactive approach and informed you Mm -hmm. of your family history long before um, you were even 18. Yeah, so I think it was kind of at the front uh, and center of their thoughts, because um, I'm the only girl in my immediate family, and... Um, there's only one other, you know, I have one female cousin on my dad's side of the family from like a biological standpoint. I have others who've married in and stuff, unstep cousins, but, um, I just think my grandma having seen, you know, some of her, 
uh, family go through that and then her having tested for this gene and having preventative surgeries herself so like when they were just finding out about all of this it made a, a big impact on my family and I think just from a protective standpoint they wanted to empower me to make all the right choices to live a long healthy life like I remember when I was growing up like I was always encouraged a really healthy diet my grandma was always like you know don't drink you know, drinking can lead to breast cancer. Didn't take that advice. Kind of like a good glass of wine, as everyone who knows me knows. But yeah, it was just something that was always like at the forefront of um, my family's mindset when I was growing up. Sure, everything in moderation, right? Including yeah. including something that has yeah. um, antioxidants in it. Like yeah, that, you know? <laughs> sometimes a little more moderation. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> no judgment whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a very hugely proactive approach in your family to the yeah. family history. And then while you were um, going up and leading to the surgery, you were in a long-term relationship at the time. I was, yes. So um, I met my ex-fiance when I was 21, and we ended up um, breaking up when I was almost 24. So we were together two, almost three years. But yeah. Um I think that definitely affected our relationship a lot. In, I mean, what, in what way? I think um, a lot from my perspective, I felt so much pressure. So with this gene, like f finding out, well, having something on the back of your mind and then having it come to reality. I remember when I found out I actually had it, it was like the most emotional day of my life. Like I could still cry thinking about it just because it's like you've had this almost like huge elephant in the room your whole life and you've known how it could mean all these really scary things and you've seen how it's affected people in your life and you don't, you're not yet given the tools, you know, like um, when I found out, I actually found out by mistake, I, you're not even supposed to find out till you talk to a genetic counselor, but I found out <laughs> because my doctor, I, I could just tell he was really emotional about it and I like pressed him until he told me because um, he was like trying to set up a genetic counseling appointment I was like I know just tell me <laughs> and so I found out um, when I was 21 after they had found the second um, benign tumor and so did they decided to do the test this is a very uh, roundabout story but yeah I think just having that come to realization I just felt so much pressure to like get my life really started and I didn't have like the tools or the coping mechanisms, I don't think, to like really sit back and understand what everything meant. And I, I went to a few genetic counseling appointments and I was like, uh, this isn't for me. I didn't take the time to find another counselor that I really liked. And so I kind of just was like, all right, well, this is happening. And, you know, I found my person. And so I'm just going to like push everything as much as I can. And so I think that definitely had an effect on myself and then in turn him, unfortunately. So. So there are kind of some societal pressures around a timeline oh, that you yeah. had in, in the forefront of your mind. Um, yeah. Well, even not even from that, but from like a biological standpoint as well, I'll have to get a, um, a new phorectomy. So I'll have to get my ovaries out around the age of 35. So back then I was just like, you know, I want to get everything done as soon as I can to make sure that I stay as healthy as long as possible because I like love life and I want to live it as long as I can and I, I don't think I was like thinking rationally at all I was just thinking like all right I found someone I love like you know I'm gonna put everything on hold and just try to like rush into marriage and rush into having kids which is so wrong <laughs> now I'm older I know that's so wrong don't rush into anything um that's not a healthy um 
anything, nothing healthy is built on rushing anything. So, yeah. <laughs> to each their own and the timeline is different for Yes, everybody. it is. It's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. But I was, I had not yet even really figured out what I wanted out of a career. I hadn't really learned who I was as a person and I just took this like bad news and I kind of just ran with it. <laughs> sure. So there was something in your life like this relationship that was um, a solid foundation that you totally. kind of held on to mm-hmm. as like um, basically a foundation in your life. And mm-hmm. then you could build off of that. Yeah. And that was the only thing that you considered at the time. You said you didn't consider your career or. I mean, I always wanted a career, but I think the thing I've always wanted the most in my life or like at least what I thought I wanted was a family. And so the the prospect of that being taken away from me or just the thought of having to go through something like this alone if it didn't work out, um, that was just really scary for me. And so I started bringing up marriage a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, he felt pressured. Sure. <laughs> um, we got engaged, and then I think just, you know, I was so young. I didn't know what I wanted out of my life at all, and I was dealing with a lot of things in the background, like mentally, and, um, yeah, I just kept pushing, and, and that's not how that's not how it's supposed to go. <laughs> I can, I can totally understand that because when, yeah. when my daughter's mom got pregnant, there was mm-hmm. a lot of family pressure mm-hmm. um, for us to get married, and we went ahead and did that, mm-hmm. and our marriage lasted two years. So yeah. there was a lot of pressure on me, yeah. and I'm sure on her as well, to mm-hmm. um, rise up to those family dynamics, the societal pressure, yeah. and then also to raise a, a child together. Mm-hmm. So leading up to the surgery, how was that decision like a part of your proactive approach to your health? Yeah. Well, I want to clarify. So he and I actually split before I decided to have the surgery. Um, That was kind of something that happened after that. So um, I was kind of going through this newfound, like, singledom, dating around, and um, I just, I was just feeling too much anxiety about the prospect, I think, of finding out one day that I had cancer and having to go through all this awful stuff. And so To me, I mean, I was going into appointments all the time, like getting my blood drawn. I was getting um, mammograms, which sucked, (laughs) but are very good and necessary. Um, I was getting ultrasounds, MRIs, um, and so I think at the time I was just like, okay, for me, this is a good decision. And let me clarify, everyone, even if you have the BRCA gene or whatever it is, like everyone has their own medical decision making to go through at the time but for me at that time um the best decision especially knowing my chances of having breast cancer were 85 percent the this seems like the next right step so yeah and a few years later you would do it all again the same way um so there was definitely some complications that happened with my surgery um i ended up having to have my surgery redone um actually last april Um, Not completely, obviously, but I had to have my reconstruction redone. So I think if I were to do it again, I would absolutely go through with the surgery. I would spend more time researching different options for myself um, and try to figure out maybe what type of reconstruction would have been best for my body. At the time, I went with what was the most common type of reconstruction at the time. And um, ironically, the implants that I ended up getting were recalled right after my last surgery because they were causing cancer. Oh, shit. <laughs> I, got, I got them taken out because they were causing me chronic pain. Um, so I ended up going with a different type of reconstruction surgery and super happy now, no pain. So, 
definitely would do the surgery again. Um, but like I said, it's different for everyone. I am not a doctor. I cannot give medical advice and everyone's situation is completely different. But at the time that definitely seemed like the right next step for myself. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about dating before the surgery yes. and, um, how is dating after you've gone through something so serious and mm -hmm. so, um, heavy on your heart and your mind? Yeah. What's dating like now? Yeah. So I, when I, oh gosh, there's been like so many phases that I feel like, um, I was a little bit nervous when I first had the surgery about how people would react. And, um, I found that I ended up not caring because people had just generally great reactions to it. Like I've never had anyone be like, ew, you know what I mean? Or like, God, you've had surgery. I don't want to date you. Um, but I will say like, once you get past that initial phase of like, okay, like they know, then it kind of has affected me in the terms of like, whenever I get into a more serious relationship, um, I've been through so much when I see someone who's like, not willing or able to um, try to work through things or um, deal with hardships in their life, it makes it like, it's a huge turnoff for me because I'm like, I've been forced to go through so many things in the last three years with my health and, and getting laid off and a whole bunch of other things. Like you, if you're not willing to do self work and like try to be a better person or try to work through something and you just want to wallow in it, that is like a huge turnoff. So I think before my surgery, I would have like wanted to try harder to help someone through it, but I'm like, you need to go and learn <laughs> to love yourself. And then if you do that, then maybe we can be together. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> so what I hear you saying is that um, you're looking more for like a higher quality person mm -hmm. through your standards that you've set who can relate to what you've been through. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not so much like their traumatic experiences, mm -hmm. but with grace and compassion coming from them. Totally. Listening and understanding and asking any questions that they possibly have for yeah. your your past and your experience. Yeah, and I'm an intense person, as you know. I'm an eight. <laughs> oh, you're, an, you're an eight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you get a couple of eights in the room. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh gosh, we're gonna hear so much of my laugh. I hope it's. I hope it doesn't disturb anyone. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I an have eight. neighbors, but they all work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm an eight wing nine. So the diplomat, as they say, but, um, so I can be an intense person and like, I know a lot of eights are kind of, it's hard to be an open, I'm an open book, but I'm not an open book when it's like comes to allowing people to help me. Like, I'm not joking. I refuse to have anyone stay with me or anyone stay with anyone after my last surgery. And like, because I just, the idea of someone having to take care of me is so awful to me that I would rather just sit in my bed and like suffer alone, which is awful. It's a horrible human mm -hmm. characteristic. But, um, so I need to find someone who can like work within this very intense, but also passionate personality that I have within this health standards. So yeah. And I do have friends that can do it. Like I have lots of friends that can do it. Um, so I believe there's some man out there who can as well. <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying about like, you don't have to help me. I don't yes. need any help. Yeah. Um, oh, I never need help. <laughs> Dogs way too late. <laughs> and there's just a little bit of an underlying, um, I don't want to call it tension, but there's this underlying reason why that is for us. Yeah. And hopefully you can relate to this because 
I'm an eight wing seven, so I'm okay. enthusiastic about challenging people. Yes. Right, which is perfectly fitting for the podcast. Yes. You know, <laughs> trying my best. But what happens is you and I have this very small group of friends. Yeah. And they're like the inner circle. Yeah. And they would be allowed to help us. Yes. But let's say like somebody new comes into the picture and you were to have this reconstruction. Yeah. Um, they would not be in that inner circle yet because no. they haven't earned it or they yeah. haven't been close enough to you for long enough. And you wouldn't want to, like you said, I don't need your help because I'm strong. Yes. <laughs> I can get through this on my own. Yeah. I felt so seen. You posted something on your story earlier today that was like a woman who thinks she What was it? A woman who can be alone. Has. Has, has been through some. Yeah. Has been through some shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she healed herself through that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, memes are a love language yeah. around here at the, at the podcast. So. <laughs> I was like, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's why you're here. But the difference between you and I, mm -hmm. eight wing seven and an eight wing nine, is mm -hmm. you also have this um, challenge with being seen. Yeah. As the Enneagram nine, that's their biggest fear is being seen. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I do. Um, I oftentimes get like in the so I have a very successful career. Um, I'm super proud of myself for where I'm at in my career. I've led teams. I've been in charge of releasing products and also like an entire, you know, marketing team. So, and I'm only 28. So I'm very proud of how far I've pushed myself in my career, especially given my health challenges. Um, but I have oftentimes been called aggressive, which, you know, oftentimes women are seen when they're trying to assert their opinion, they're called aggressive. Um, and I also, just a lot of times people think I'm trying to be argumentative when maybe I'm trying to just bring up a different side that maybe they're not considering. Um, and I feel intensely passionate about making sure there's justice. Um, I like, I want things to be just and I want everyone to have a seat at the table. And so, yeah, like people not really realizing my intentions is definitely a fear of mine. Sure. Uh, that's why they call you the diplomat is you uh -huh. want everybody to have a seat at the table. That's a really apt description of it too. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about this earlier today, and it's truly unique that our guests mm -hmm. bring out um, my life, you know, mm -hmm. like this path of my life. Yeah. Each and every time that I interview somebody new, it's like, it yes, really that's hard. what's going on in my life. Yes. And where this comes from is the intention. Mm -hmm. um, my intention when I'm at the upper end of the optimal levels of health, are you familiar with the one through nine levels of health? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we're near the top, we're so much more like a helper mm -hmm. and we champion for the underdog and we root for the little guy and we'll go to bat for that person. We'll almost mm -hmm. like sacrifice all things that yeah. are self-possessed <laughs> yeah. in order to help the little guy. Yeah. For me and my businesses, it's, uh, it's fitness people who are just starting, but more specifically, mm -hmm. it's 25 to 40 year old women who have a mm -hmm. history of trauma. That's who gravitates to my business. Yeah. And that's the magnitude at which an eight can be like. Mm hmm so I bring that up because I was thinking about intentions. Mm -hmm. People don't know our intentions mm -hmm. like you in your corporate world. Mm -hmm. They're just thinking, oh, Mack truck full of marshmallows. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's our nickname as the eight. Yeah. We barrel in like a bull in a china shop. But then once you get into that inner circle, like everybody has a seat at the table. Yeah. That's where the power and the, and the magnitude and the ability to get the best out of everybody totally. comes from. Yeah. No, I, I mean, for me, my um, I love volunteering with kids. Uh, I'm actually training right now to become a court, 
appointed special advocate for foster care children. Um, but I care about, I genuinely just care about the fact that I think this comes from sometimes my intentions being misunderstood, but like everyone just giving everyone else a chance to just be the, their best version of themselves. And like, if I can help that person take that next step, then that's what makes me feel alive. You know what I mean? So a lot of times my intentions are seen as someone who's very um, bossy or I don't know. Intense. <laughs> intense. I'm very intense. Um, but yeah. I'm, Needing to be right. Oh yeah. I always have to be <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> it's funny. I'm reading a Joan Didion book right now. Um, and she talks about her need to always be right. I'm like, oh, well, I, I'm proud to relate to someone like you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I understand that. So as a, as a challenger on the mm-hmm. Enneagram, what does authenticity mean to you in and out of a relationship? So I think authenticity to me, um, regardless of the relationship to someone. So for me, it means that I'm having tough conversations with myself. Like if I mess up, um, I'm usually on the phone with either Jamie or one of my other best friends the next day and like encouraging them to give me harsh feedback. Um, taking a step back and doing things like healthy habits that I know will put me in a better spot. Being able to be honest with people about how I really feel about the situation, which sometimes isn't that hard for me. Because <laughs> um, you're going to tell it like it is. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, and also just like what do I need to do to live a life that makes me happy? Um, and then when it's coming from someone else, um, I think I, I've struggled especially a lot in today's dating world to find what I consider authentic people because I feel like that instant gratification is such a part of our culture right now. I mean, the fact that I can order a bottle of wine from Jersey, I can order food from Postmates, I can swipe right on three people in two seconds and you know what I mean? I can have conversations with 20 people at once if I wanted to. Um, it just takes that, that work out of the equation. So um, authentic to me is like being upfront with what you're really looking for and then taking the steps to follow that through. Like if you say you want a relationship and then you ghost me after we've hooked up, then that's not authentic. <laughs> that's definitely the other person saying whatever they want to get yeah. whatever they want. Yes. And that's been my experience as well. Yeah. Um, and that's why we have a podcast. Yes. <laughs> so that we can build a community of authentic people mm-hmm. so that we have better people to choose from. Totally. But what I was going to ask you earlier is what it sounds like is it sounds like you're looking for a higher vibration mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. who is into personal growth, self-awareness, um, discovering who it is that he truly is and mm-hmm. what his place in this world is as well. Yeah. And I would say I'm looking for a higher vibrational person because I think I'm not closing myself off to any experiences or opportunities. Um, I've historically dated men, but I'm an open door when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, a higher vibrational person who knows what they want and is empathetic, I think is a big thing that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And also patient. Uh, I think I've heard you talk about on your podcast before, like that three month window. And I, for some reason, when it comes to dating, like that first three months, I feel like I'm an outside observer just trying to figure out like who this person really is. And then if we make it past three months, I'm genuinely like, okay, I'm ready to like commit. You know, so yeah. <laughs> that is that is that that resonates with me so much because yeah. of the challenger in us. Yes, both. yeah. And what that is coming out in us is 
that trust yeah. and betrayal and um, are you going to control me? Mm-hmm. We need to find the proof. Mm-hmm. Like that is our biggest and greatest tendency that keeps us stuck mm-hmm. in unable to be vulnerable. Yeah. So vulnerability is as an eight. Yeah. I hope you can relate to this is that discovering that vulnerability is a strength and not a weakness is yeah. our lifelong pursuit. Yes. <laughs> Are you a fan of Renee Brown? Yes. Yeah. I love her. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> and you and I need her. Yes. Like, we do need her. <laughs> There are, there's the helper on the Enneagram as well that needs Brene Brown also to help set boundaries. Mm -hmm. You and I need Brene and her message so that we can understand that our greatness is when we allow people to come in. Like you were talking about being open Mm -hmm. to the opportunity and the possibility. Yeah. But also (laughs) this boundary that you and I have a tendency to set up is Mm -hmm. there to self protect. Yeah. And I would say, though, there's just some personalities that, like, can walk through that door so much more quickly. Like, and they're usually people are much more self-aware. Like, I just recently became um, friends with a woman who's getting her PhD in psychology. And, like, I feel like on our third conversation, she was just asking the right questions. And I can tell she was being authentic and also engaged and aware of our conversation. That's another thing. I feel like so many times these days you're talking to someone but they're not really listening or they're not really processing what you're trying to say. And so there's definitely personalities who can walk through that door. And she absolutely has. We've become such good friends so quickly, but there's other personalities (laughs) where I'm like, okay, three months is not enough of a trial period for you. Or like, I've found that sometimes the people I hated like the most when I first met them (laughs) have become my best friends over time. Mm -hmm. So it's just an interesting dynamic. It is because we're qualifying this other person mm-hmm. as subconsciously yeah. as are they going to hurt us yeah. and in what way. Mm-hmm. And so we self-protect as an eight. And what you're talking about with these, the door that they're able to walk through, Yeah, I can visualize this person coming into your life who has empathy. Yes. And they can walk <laughs> through that yes. door and understand with grace and compassion where you've been and who you are and where you're, where you're going with your life. Yeah. I'll say there are... There are those people, though, that seem empathetic. And like I said, in the dating world, they say the, the right things and then it, they don't mean what they say. Mm-hmm. So that just closed, you know. But <laughs> what does authentic empathy sound like to you? Um, just really, like, being there with someone. When, you, when someone has a bad day, like, not giving up on them or not just assuming that that's, like, the entirety of their personality. Like, um... Again, I'll use this example of my friend. I went through a breakup recently, and it was just really hard on me. And I was ugly crying. Like, she came over without even, like, telling me, brought me, like, a huge-ass cookie and, like, a bottle of wine and just literally made me talk about it. And, like, that was so authentic because, one, I didn't ask her to do it. Two, I basically told her to leave when she showed up because I was, like... I don't like, need your help. I, yeah. And then, three, it was just, like, she asked the right questions and was able to just genuinely listen. And then also give me some relief because I am the biggest critic of myself. Like if I mess up, I like really internalize that and, and I almost punish myself to see how I can fix that or make things better for whoever I feel like I've wronged. And, and it, I need those people in my life who can almost be like, just because you did this one bad thing does not mean you were a bad person. Mm-hmm. And someone who you trust to be able to give you that feedback is like, 
almost like such a breath of fresh air in my life because <laughs> I am so hard on myself and I think I surround myself with other very driven like uh people who are like constantly focused on like them you know improving themselves or like all right you did this one bad thing like how are you gonna fix this for the rest of your life like instead of being like okay be gentle with yourself for a second gentle <laughs> so yeah <laughs> it totally resonates with me because yeah. I mean we're, we're very similar in personalities and mm -hmm. um I can I can picture that situation with your friend coming over just being like the safest opportunity mm -hmm. for you to be vulnerable mm -hmm. because you trust that person already they're in your inner circle mm -hmm. and they have no agenda that you yeah. can that you can see feel or hear yeah and that's what we're doing at all times is we're listening we're watching and we're we're feeling in mm -hmm. our gut center for when's the other shoe going to drop yeah. When is it that you're going to manipulate this for your benefit? Yeah. But there was nothing in that situation except empathy for you. Yeah. And I do try to return that for my friends. Like, I think I care so much about making sure they're happy and making sure that they feel seen and loved and heard. Um, having that returned to me is something that is just, it makes me feel so special and happy and good. And I'm not, not used to a lot of people doing it because I feel like we're not really taught how to do that. We're definitely living in this bubble mm -hmm. of outside influences at all times. Like we've gotten to know each other over Instagram yep. and social media is one of those bubbles that when used appropriately can be so great. Yes. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of our guests for the podcast and a lot of our listeners come to us from Instagram and we build these amazing relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, Laura Laura says, hey, I got a layover. Can I crash at your place? The answer is yes. Absolutely. Because we're building this community. Mm -hmm. Or um, Laura, a different Laura, <laughs> um, reaches out and says, Dave, can, can we meet up for happy hour? I want to pick your brain. Mm -hmm. um, I got a few questions and I want to learn more about why you started this thing. Yes, the answer is yes. Yeah, Let's absolutely. make time for each other to listen and for me to be seen and to be heard as well. Yeah. I've definitely made some great friendships through Instagram. One of uh, the only other people who's around my age that I've met in person, we connected through Instagram. And she's such an amazing person. She's a phenomenal writer. Um, and I don't know, just the fact that I know, like, she's come out here. And if I went to New York, I could, like, hang out with her. And when I have health scares, like... Um, uh, right before I had my revision surgery, they found a, a cyst, <laughs> which is like the most terrifying thing ever, right? You've had this surgery to like ensure there's no bumps and then there was a bump and it was awful. And I was just like on the phone with her crying, like texting her all the time because having someone who understands you and can hear you and see you, it's awesome. So it's, I think social media does have that power to bring together people um, who have similar values I also think there's a dark side to social media. <laughs> there, there's no question about it that yeah. there's a dark side to social media. Yeah. So when we choose to post a meme like the one that resonated with you today, yeah. it's to connect even deeper and further with our, our audience yeah. so that they know that we're here for them. Totally. That social media account is not for like numbers or totally. ego or anything yeah. like that. It's there as a resource yeah. to make you laugh. Sometimes make you cry. Yep. Um, I've definitely ugly cried behind the scenes yeah. when I'm like thinking about um, how deeply connected our community is. Yeah. And that's very important to me. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but that's the that's the integrated eight coming out of me. Yeah. And the integrated eight in you is 
is being open and available to others being there for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I have, I do have, like, such an amazing group of friends, and I think, I remember, like, certain points in my life, and, like, I don't know, the end of high school was really hard because my inner circle went off, and, like, thinking life was going to end because all these people who had finally let in were gone, but I found, like, life is full of always introducing you to new opportunities and new people, and trying to look at things as, like, just a blessing and a door opening, not closing, so... Yeah, I think social media definitely has the, the power to connect. And podcasts, I think, I mean, there's there's so many amazing podcasts out there. I know we're both fans of The Angry Therapist. Yes. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think just the idea that we live in this age where people are driven to try to listen to others and connect with others and improve themselves through that journey I think is really powerful as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you guys aren't following The Angry Therapist, John Kim is – he just has a way with um, an in-your-face approach to the softest version of Suck It Up Buttercup of like, yeah, really, like you, you're kind of wallowing mm-hmm. in your own despair. Mm-hmm. And here we are as a community to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yep. So he has a new Facebook group called Single on Purpose. Yeah. I'm and, not in it yet. I need to join. <laughs> uh, I'd highly recommend it. There's some yeah. actually really conscious... Um, people in that group Mm -hmm. when I saw it was up to 700 members so there's a lot of uh, a lot of comments going on these questions that are being posed in this Mm -hmm. group and again when social media used is used appropriately it can do amazing things absolutely however it can get into our minds of comparison Um, it can get into our minds of like when will this get better? Mm-hmm. Like if we're in a low point, a peak or a valley. Yeah. More valleys than peaks. Yeah. <laughs> I did just do, I was going to try to do the whole month, but I ended up feeling a lot better after 10 days, just like an Instagram break, just because it's hard not to compare your life to everyone else yeah. around you. Even though I have a fantastic life, there's nothing I should ever feel sad about. I am very, I feel very proud and of who I am and what I've accomplished and I'm very thankful of the people I surround myself with. And, like, I am happy being single right now. I'm happy where I'm at in my life. So why should I compare myself to other people who are equally as happy and accomplished and feeling good in their lives? It's, it doesn't make sense, but psychologically, it still happens sometimes. So mm-hmm. a little break was good for me. <laughs> we do social media detoxes every weekend. Yes. Our, our crew. <laughs> there's, there's probably a quarter of a five or six. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have only met a couple of them in person. Okay. Um, Jess is a former guest of ours on the podcast. Okay. Steph is a great listener. Um, and then Heather, Christie, and mm-hmm. now we have a joiner from LA who's just like leading the charge. They're good. just kicking some major butt. That's good. You should do it. And they're, the, <laughs> they're there for me as well. In, in November, I stopped seeing somebody after a couple months, mm-hmm. and they were there for me. Mm-hmm. They're like, Dave, we're sending you virtual hugs. Aww. It's like a, it's a place where we talk over text that's a safe place that people can talk about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And social media is just the distraction that we're eliminating from our life mm-hmm. for three days. So how do you do that? Do you delete the apps or do you do each each Friday? Mm-hmm. Okay. We delete the apps at 8 a.m. on Friday and then we can download them again at 8 a.m. Monday. Like so we have three full nights. Mm-hmm. And one of our participants, I did not know this, was feeling distant from her family and her husband. And mm-hmm. the first weekend that she joined us for the for the detox, she and her husband chose to rebuild these bikes and repair these bikes that were in their garage not being used. 
And she said that that project started a reconnection between her oh, and her husband awesome. and possibly saved a marriage. That's awesome. And those are things that I don't know about. Yeah. We're simply just saying, hey, guys, are you spending too much time on Facebook and Instagram? It's so easy. Well, even in my 10-day cleanse, I, my goal is to read 50 books this year. I read three books in 10 days. I was like, I don't know how I did that. Oh, I wasn't on my phone. Because <laughs> you, you, you created more time for yourself yeah. throughout your normal existence in, totally. in the day. Totally, yeah. So. so if your message resonates with people, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Probably through Instagram. Ironically <laughs> enough, yeah. That's generally um, yeah. how most of our guests, uh, it's where we find our guests. It's where we, it's where we build our community and that's a safe place to do so mm -hmm. through Instagram stories, yes. which, <laughs> yeah. which is so much fun for me. Yeah. Um, but then also through the people that are interacting through the messenger and things like that. So yeah. cultivating Kayla. Yes. Um, I'll put that in the show notes below, but, okay. um, if there's one thing that we didn't touch on today, uh, that you wanted us to walk away with, what, what would that be? Um, a couple things. So one thing is that if you're feeling um, any sort of pressure about any sort of medical situation that's going on in your life or nervous about a family history, there's so many resources. Um, just doing some research and not being afraid to talk to someone or reach out to someone. I know some of the best resources I got throughout this entire process was from my therapist. Um, and just knowing that uh, one part of you doesn't define your whole story. Like, this this gene that I have doesn't define who I am as a person. Um, just like anything else, just one part of your life doesn't define you. And then um, the second thing is that everyone is inherently valuable. And it doesn't matter what you tell what you tell yourself when you see outside forces. Like, you are valuable and there are people out there who care and want you to be happy. So if you're feeling down or comparing yourself to other people too much, um, also reach out. <laughs> I feel like, um, those are two things that I wanted to say. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, it was my pleasure to have you. Yes, and thank you. That went by so quickly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. I know that that's very hard to do. Yeah. Um, but I believe that our community will find a, a great value and in your story and many, many, many more to come. Thank you. Yeah, yeah of this course. is great. Thank you so much. And my pleasure, absolutely. Cool.